The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What makes a successful entrepreneur? One who is constantly worried about the success of their business to the point where they don't have any time for themselves? Or one who keeps an eye on business but also makes time for the rest of their life? Welcome to Reclaim Your Freedom with host Shirley Dalton. In this program, you'll learn how to create an amazing, successful business and still have time for a life. Now, here's Shirley Dalton. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Reclaim Your Freedom and I'm your host, Shirley Dalton. In Australia, my clients call me Australia's business systemizer because I just love, love, love systems. And today you're going to just love, love, love our guest, Bill Sanders, because he's known as the operational strategist. And today we're going to be talking about improving your operations and making sure they are aligned with your business strategy as well as the critical elements you need to successfully lead a project. Welcome, Bill. Well, thank you very much, Shirley. It's nice to be here. Uh, I'm really excited, Bill. Now, we met recently in New York at a C-suite network event. And for those listeners who aren't familiar with the term C-suite or C-level, it means chief officer of one or more departments. For example, you might be the CEO, the COO, CFO, CIO, CMO, and there's probably many more. Um, and of course, Bill, we, we immediately hit it off. Not only are you funny and entertaining and easy to chat with, but you're exceptionally intelligent, well-educated, and of course, you have a bent for operational efficiency, as do I. You've been, yes, go on. <laughs> You've been dubbed the operational strategist by your clients because of your unique ability to rapidly identify and remove barriers to implementing strategy within an organisation with minimal disruption and a dramatic return on investment. You have that rare ability to efficiently identify misalignment between strategy, process and execution and design elegant solutions to these often highly complex problems. Your insights routinely expose new business opportunities and underutilised team talents, unlocking increased profitability and business growth. And your clients range from independently owned agencies and SMEs to members of the Fortune 500. You're a former president of the San Francisco American Marketing Association and you write a regular column on work culture for the Huffington Post. So, Bill, the first question, your website, roblingstrauss.com, where did that name come from? Does it have a special meaning? Well, it certainly does to me. Uh, where it came from was when I first started thinking about uh, starting and incorporating uh, the consulting practice. I looked out there, and if you look up Bill Sanders, there's about 147,000 hits from uh, you know 300 different people with the same name. So I knew I needed a different name uh, for the brand of the uh, consultancy. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I've been called a bridge builder since the 90s on multiple occasions, I've done a lot of study trying to figure out what is what does that mean. Um, so 
Roman Strauss comes from the two engineers for the Brooklyn Bridge in New York and the Golden Gate Bridge here in San Francisco. And particularly because I admire both of their commitments to the people that actually built the bridge. Uh, so Brooklyn, for example, was designed by John Roebling. And when he passed uh, before, it, uh, just as it was getting started, his son, Washington Roebling, uh, took over as the construction engineer. And at the time, they were having a lot of the men that were digging the the foundations for the towers getting sick. And what it was was decompression sickness. It was the bins, right? It's like diving. They were going down so low, coming up, having nitrogen in their blood, coming up too quick. And so he began to go down with them to try to figure out what this was. He brought in doctors. Um, he, he really worked hard to try to eliminate what this was. And as a result, he got the decompression sicknesses himself and ended up for the last three years of the building of the bridge in the bed because oh. he was so ill. And his, uh, his wife, Emily, actually was the person on the ground handing out all his instructions and actually managing the completion of the bridge. Um, so on the Golden Gate side, uh, it was uh, Joseph Strauss, and he actually innovated safety netting under bridges. I mean, prior, I mean, prior to the 30s, losing people on a bridge, people dying because they fell off for lack of safety systems, that was just part of doing business. Uh, and he said, no, we don't have to do business that way. And as a result, there were only 11 uh, men killed on the Golden Gate Bridge build. And 10 of those happened at one time when scaffolding tore the net out from under. But there were 19 men that, uh, whose lives were saved because of that netting was there. And no one was, you know, there was no government agency telling him to do that. That was something that he felt like was uh, a responsible thing to do. And, you know, on, on top of that, he also brought it in ahead of schedule and $1.3 million under budget. <laughs> Wow, $1.3 million under budget in, in those days. Wow. Yes. Yes, wow. Well, I can see certainly why you would have been um, modelling after those men, if I can say that. Um, very great role models there. And, of course, you have that um, because you live around that area as well, so it obviously means something to you. And it's, it's actually hooky. Uh, I was talking with... Karen Jacobson uh, a couple of months ago, the GPS girl, and we were talking about things that are memorable. And she said, you know, it, it needs to be hooky. It needs to be memorable. And certainly Roebling, Roebling Strauss, if you can pronounce it <laughs> in my Aussie accent, <laughs> uh, Roebling Strauss is certainly memorable. And it's that story that people remember. So kudos to you. Well done. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, Bill, tell us a little about yourself. How did you get interested in the work that you do? Well, I started out uh, engineering uh, at the University of Arkansas. actually finished up uh, in Florida at St. Louis University with computer information systems degree. But my, you know, I just found myself gravitating. I, I want to know how things are built. I want to know how they work, why they work, uh, why is this more effective than that? And then how do we link it to, you know, what we're all uh, about in terms of earning a living and you know I don't know about everybody listening to this but I'm hoping as, as business owners that we look forward to Monday morning and we want to go into work uh, so how do we make that work easier better more fulfilling and so I've you know taken a about seven different career paths here I've been in civil engineering I've been in curriculum development nonprofit uh, did a stint uh, consulting in the early 2000s e-commerce 
uh, advertising industry and now back into the consulting side of the equation. So it's always been in the pursuit of how do we do this better and how do we connect it uh, to uh, bottom line results for the people that are you know, actually doing the work every day. Oh, I love it. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> so can you take us through a typical assignment? What's the first thing you do when you agree to consult with a company? You know, what do you look for and what then maybe our listeners could look for? Okay. Well, um, you know, prior to beginning assignment, actually what I look for is do I want to do this assignment, right? Do I have a, a group of people or an organization that are growing, uh, that want to improve, uh, you know, that we have a connection with and have uh, some, some similar philosophies to. So that's the first thing I look for is, you know, will this work and can I help? Can I, can I have a good, you know, 10, 20 or more ROI return for the client? If I can't, I'm probably going to refer them to somebody else. Uh, if it's work that I look, looks like I'm going to learn something I'm going to enjoy, I know I have an expertise in, uh, then we'll jump in. And the first thing then is, you know, what's the objective? Like, how are we going to measure this? Uh, what is uh, the ultimate goal and can they be honest with me where they really are? Where are we starting from? Where are we going to? And if we have those, then we can build a very custom solution to whatever it is we're trying to solve for. Okay. So could you give us an example of, of something that you might be looking at solving? Like, because we know that you're into um, operations and linking that with strategy. And also we want to be talking today about project leadership. So can you give us an example of, with you know, without giving names away or um, Absolutely. reality? Well, I'll I give you a good example. A, um, a previous client of mine, who there's no one there that I know anymore uh, that I worked with prior to. They just know my name from, from, from past engagements and they actually have new ownership out of another country uh, started to see kind of their canary in the coal mine, a particular product service that they offered uh, is no longer people aren't taking them up on it. They're starting to see the revenue fall and they called and said, can you help us resolve this? And so this was more of a strategy uh, session where, I did a couple of weeks worth of work for them before in terms of talking to clients that had purchased this before and were still purchasing it, mm -hmm. talking to clients that were uh, purchasing it before that are no longer purchasing it, and talking to clients that had never purchased it at all to get a sense of what was happening in the marketplace. And we identified that there was a fundamental shift in the marketplace for them. Like mm -hmm. something's happening to your customers that you are unaware of, and this is where it's showing up. So then what do we have to, what do we have to change about that? So um, myself and another colleague uh, that I brought in, who's just a brilliant strategist in that particular area, uh, we went down, spent two days offsite with the leadership team, and we found another million and a half in revenue for them in two days for 2017. Just repeat that again, would you? <laughs> yeah, we found another million and a half of profitable revenue for them in two days. And more importantly, and I think this is, this is what drives the way I operate now. In 2004, I was part of the team that founded ROCG Worldwide, 43 offices worldwide as a consulting firm. And we did a very traditional approach. We would you know, go in and do the assessments and then we'd go away in our little you know, cubby holes and we'd come up with these brilliant strategies and we'd write them all out and build a big documentation. We'd take in this beautiful three ring binder and they'd be, oh, ah, this is great, wonderful. And I saw one, one time they actually did it in front of me. They took the binder 
And they turned around behind the desk and they pushed it into the shelf. And I knew at that moment, the minute he pushed it in that shelf, that binder was going to be there in a year collecting dust. Oh, ouch. That, I mean, you would have put so much work and effort into that. Oh, God, you could just cry. But with no leverage for actual implementation. Yep. And I just said, you know, when I, when I, when I left uh, the consulting world to go into advertising, I, I said, you know, if I ever come back into that, I'm not ever doing that again. I don't ever want to be doing work that actually doesn't have an impact to the people that are paying the bill. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back into this, I said, you know, I could have done that in a few hours of brainstorming, but if I didn't go work with that team in that offsite and help co-create a strategy that they actually owned and got excited about, they're never going to implement it. So just repeat that again, to create a strategy that they owned and got excited about. Part of that whole two days off-site was, you know, could we have done it in a, in a half a day? We could have done it in two hours between Brad and I, uh-huh. you know, my, my uh, colleague that I took with me. We could have done it in two hours. Done. But it would have never gotten implemented. But because we took the time and we took the time to get everybody on the same page, go in the same direction, agreed to terminology, agreeing and seeing the problem and, and getting the feedback and instead of writing a report, actually gave them the feedback and the examples as the topics came up from all of the uh, stakeholder interviews that I'd done previously. And, you know, you could see how people reacted to it and how they engaged in trying to find the solution themselves. So we got where we needed to go, and yet every one of them had their own fingerprint, their own, uh, their own piece of it, and felt like they had contributed to the solution. So they're far more engaged in actually making that happen instead of, oh, great, here's something else I've got to do along with all the other things I've got to do and I'm already too busy. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think that's a really good place for us to ha- have a break. And when we come back, let's look at the connection there between engaging people and project leadership. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Shirley Dalton's guide, Five Simple Steps to Business Freedom, is changing the way today's professionals balance their work lives and the rest of their lives. You can enjoy this guide free when you discover businessfreedomfighters.com. You'll find out how to get out of the stranglehold of business and get your life back. The secret is not working longer or harder. It's working smarter and better. You'll join the thousands who find this guide and Shirley Dalton valuable resources for their business. Visit businessfreedomfighters.com today. If you like the Reclaim Your Freedom radio show, you can join Shirley Dalton for her TV show, Empowered Business TV, where you'll get to meet her guests in person and join in with activities to improve yourself, your team, and your business. Watch demonstrations of techniques and strategies you can implement immediately. Plus, regular business owners who are happy to share their experiences and secrets that have made them successful to help you achieve the success you want in business and in life. Visit EmpoweredBusinessTV.com today. 
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Reclaim Your Freedom with Shirley Dalton. If you have a question or a comment about the program, please send an email to questions at daltonbusinesssystems.com. Again, that's questions at daltonbusinesssystems.com. Now, back to Reclaim Your Freedom. Welcome back. Well, we're talking today with the operational strategist, Bill Sanders. And if you've been listening, you would hear that Bill is giving you clues there on not only how to uh, improve your business operations, but also leading into project management and project leadership. And, you know, Bill, just repeat that number again. You worked with a company and and within two days you were able to find how many millions? Uh, $1.5 million in additional revenue. And this was a rather uh, small company doing under 10 million. So that's a pretty significant jump for them this year. That, that's enormous. Yes. Okay. And when we were talking on the break, I was asking you whether you um, you get involved in the implementation of that or whether it's more from a, a higher level strategic or facilitation level. And I think it's important for us to just mention that because I know internally in some organizations, we have people that they want to get involved in everything. And I think part of it is that you have to learn when not to. So, do you want to talk to that a little bit? Sure. Well, I think another commitment that I have, uh, having seen the results otherwise, is as happy as I am to get down and roll up my sleeves and help do the work, I don't want to be the only one that can do the work. If I can't transfer knowledge into the organization, the, the organization is going to end up calling me back in six months to redo the work. And I hate redoing work in the first place. And I don't think that's the key value. I think transmitting the skills and the insights to be able to take uh, what we act, the strategy we developed or the operational strategy that we develop and implement it and making sure that those skills are transferred is one of the key pieces of value that I bring. Uh, I have a lot of clients that have had me in uh, three, four, five, six times. I think one client's had me in seven times in the last seven years. They've never brought me back in to solve the same problem. Mm-hmm. This is a rework. This is, oh, we have another opportunity over here. Or, oh, we want to pioneer this new service. How do we think about that? How do we build a framework around that? And so I concentrate at, at a very strategic level of making sure that they understand what it takes to be and stay aligned and execute against whatever it is we've developed. Mm, and that's where that operational strategist comes in and where you bridge that um, bridge between the strategy and the operations, which, you know, is just a great metaphor for your website as well. Uh, thank you. Mm. And you also mentioned the name of a complex where, you know, we get these people in organisations who haven't quite learned to delegate and to step back and allow other people to implement. Uh, you know, they, they keep getting involved and, and doing it. And what's that complex called? Well, I call it the hero complex and the other, I don't have any uh, backing for that other than just that's the way I see it. I mean, a lot of people, uh, if they need the, if they need the pat on the back, if they need the reassurance from an external source and they're getting that from work, that they're the ones that can solve the problem and they're the only ones that can solve the problem and that's kind of how they're getting their fix from work, then sometimes it's very difficult. 
right? To, um, uh, to, to turn things over, to learn to delegate, and to actually do what's needed in the role. Uh, I'm exactly the opposite of that. I, I just left a client where I did a lot of organizational development work over a, a good amount of period of time, and almost everyone that got credit for the work was inside the organization, and I loved it because that means they're going to keep doing it long after I'm gone, and they don't need to remember where that idea came from. I've already been paid. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, and it reminded me of when I was consulting in Australia and I would go into some organisations and the bosses or the owners would be saying, oh, you know, look at Mary or look at John over there. They're so dedicated and they work such long hours and they're here early and they they stay back late at night. And to me, I'd look at John and Mary and think, Really? Uh, gee whiz, if they got in and did their work during the day, they wouldn't need to be coming in early or staying back late because that's when they're actually doing the work. But it's, it's interesting that perception that we have, you know, and then some people just not being able to let go. And I think that's a really important point, particularly for our listeners who are leaders and managers, entrepreneurs and business owners, not to get caught in that trap, you know, whether it's the hero complex where you get to feel good about yourself because you're being needed and um, people want you or whether it's because you're not noticing that actually you're some of your people are not actually being efficient and productive and so we actually find ourselves rewarding the wrong behaviour. And something else that you mentioned too is that when you uh, facilitate these meetings and you take on board everybody else's input, what we've found too in um, just with listening to people is that the person who's got the problem is the best person to solve it because they know all the reasons why our solutions won't work. And, and I love your philosophy there where you're, you're going in, you're facilitating, you're coming up with the strategy. And what I also heard was that then you'll help get a strategy to implement the strategy. And then I'm guessing that you would also keep people accountable. <laughs> a key point indeed, if you're going to be in the, any, any sort of, I think there's four things that I look for in an organization, and, and that is uh, when we start to implement a, a project of any kind, the, the first one is, is alignment. And that's, that's alignment on two levels. The first level is strategy, the, the what we're doing, right? And there has to be agreement around it. If we're arguing about what we should be doing, mm-hmm. we've got a fundamental culture problem with the organization in the first place. Uh, the who we are, the what we're here to do, and how, you know what that structure is supposed to look like is going to be the key strategy piece. Uh, a lot of organizations already have that figured out. What they don't is we're still arguing at the at the executive level about how we're going to do that, right? Uh-huh. Uh, accounting is arguing with operations is is arguing with R and D, and you know the how needs to be aligned. And so, getting that alignment up front is key. Set everybody on the same trajectory, how, where we're going, what direction, how fast, and make sure that everybody's on the same page around definitions, not just the words we're using, but what they mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, very frequently, I mean, one of my favorite exercises is making sure the owner or the, uh, the division head is in the room, is I ask a series of questions that use typically expose how far apart we are on what we think the other team is doing. Because there's too many silos in here. 
Mm-hmm. As, the, as the client sits there and looks at that, they go, got it. And now I understand why we're actually taking time out of our workday to have the conversation. Because if we don't have that conversation now, it's going to cost you 10 times or 100 times more to solve for that six months from now. Mm. Yeah, well, you've already built and reinforced the silos. Exactly. And you're building the reinforcement into the operations, which is exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. The second thing is explicit agreement. If we need to know exactly what's being asked of us as an individual contributor or as a department manager, I need to know exactly what's being asked of me. What is the criteria that I'm going to be judged on? So what's the objective? How am I going to be measured? Once I understand those, then I can actually give you a real commitment to when I can accomplish that. Without knowing those things, this is ballparking. It's guessing. And it's why so many things, it's why so many projects come in uh, after, you know, they're late and they cost too much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, The third is transparent accountability. Yeah, we have to be able, once we've made a commitment, we're going to be judged for it. And tracking that, making sure everybody can see so nobody can hide whether or not they're getting the job done. Not because we want to punish, but because we all want to get better and make this more effective across the board. And so the fourth piece of that is a culture of adaptability. Uh, Moki the Elder in the 1700s, great general, uh, Prussian general, uh, said, you know, I'll misquote it here, but, you know, no battle plan lasts past the first shot fired. So no matter what we plan to do or what our timing is or what our budget is, the market is moving and changing and operating completely differently all the time. So what we plan to do is not set in stone. We have to be flexible with that. We make a a, a commitment to something and when we find out that everything that we thought was there has changed, we really want super early warning to make sure that we can make the changes as efficiently and effectively and as cheaply as possible. And I think that's a really important point too because sometimes people get so fixated on their strategy that sometimes they can miss those early warning signs, as you say. And, you know, I know you were, you were asking how we're going since we've been in America. And, you know, we've had plan A uh, and now I think we're up to plan C, D and E. <laughs> and you're fine. You come and you do something and you go, well, that's not exactly what I was expecting. So, you know, it's time to change. Otherwise, if we were fixated on that, um, we wouldn't be open to all these opportunities. In fact, meeting you was one of those Um, we actually extended our time in New York to be able to go to a meeting and that's where we met you. So, you know, how fortuitous was that? Absolutely. So um, what you mentioned then I know is part of your white paper, which is on your website, and uh, and it's a very easy read too, listeners, if you want to go there and download that and um, if you're taking notes. And so is that what you would say are the components for successful uh, project leadership? And I also want you to go into detail for us the difference between project management and project leadership. Okay, be happy to. Yeah, I mean, I think those are those are key criteria, and there there are some of the the leverage points that you can use. Those are things that I always demand there, but there there are a number of uh, project leadership principles uh, that we can talk about. All right. Well, let's let's have a a quick break there, and then come back, and we'll talk about the project leadership. Now, you say project, and we say project. So, <laughs> however you want to say it, listeners, we're going to come back very shortly and talk about the difference. Stay with us. We'll be right with you. Thank you. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you like the Reclaim Your Freedom radio show, you can join Shirley Dalton for her TV show, Empowered Business TV, where you'll get to meet her guests in person and join in with activities to improve yourself, your team, and your business. Watch demonstrations of techniques and strategies you can implement immediately. Plus, regular business owners who are happy to share their experiences and secrets that have made them successful to help you achieve the success you want in business and in life. Visit EmpoweredBusinessTV.com today. Shirley Dalton's guide, Five Simple Steps to Business Freedom, is changing the way today's professionals balance their work lives and the rest of their lives. You can enjoy this guide free when you discover businessfreedomfighters.com. You'll find out how to get out of the stranglehold of business and get your life back. The secret is not working longer or harder. It's working smarter and better. You'll join the thousands who find this guide and Shirley Dalton valuable resources for their business. Visit businessfreedomfighters.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Reclaim Your Freedom with Shirley Dalton. If you have a question or a comment about the program, please send an email to questions at daltonbusinesssystems.com. Again, that's questions at daltonbusinesssystems.com. Now, back to Reclaim Your Freedom. Welcome back. Well, we've been talking about the well, we're about to talk about the difference between project management and project leadership and why it's important. And we've been talking with operational strategist Bill Sanders. Now, before we went to break, Bill gave us the critical elements to successfully lead a project. And I'll just quickly recap that. And then, Bill, you might give us an example. So the first critical component was alignment. Second one was explicit agreement. Third was transparent accountability and fourth was a culture of adaptability. So would you have an example that you could walk us through? Sure. Early uh, in an acquisition that a company had, they purchased three different companies that had all been, they're all in the same space and they were all direct head-to-head competitors and had been for many years, like five, seven years of direct head-to-head competitors with the same leaders at the top. And obviously, you know, it was kind of the game of risk, right? They tried to take over the other person's, uh, you know, market share and that sort of thing, take over the other, uh, beat the other company. And so when they came together, now they're all owned by the same holding company. Guess what kind of uh, friction we've got? when they start trying to work together, right? So imagine you're either the, the person responsible for making these teams work together, right? Or you're the person on one of the teams where you've got all this leftover friction and you don't really, you don't even know the other person you're supposed to be working with and you don't want to work with them and you got your own systems, you're comfortable with the way you work. Uh, mm-hmm. So particularly in that particular situation, what we did, uh, they were unwilling initially 
to give me more than one day with, with, the, with the teams. And so I took the heads of each one of those new departments, which used to be companies, and the heads of all the divisions within those companies. We put everybody in a room, and we spent the first half the day getting alignment around what, it, what does it mean for us to cooperate together. Right? I broke everybody up. We, started, we broke down language. We started talking through what does that mean to you. And I'm, I, I, I did take the three leaders of the three different uh, former companies, now divisions, together. And we laid out your role and responsibility today. And then I followed through and checked in with them through the whole day, made sure they were mixing up the groups and that we couldn't get any clicks going. And we worked through that. And by, by noon, you can start to feel the unthawing, mm-hmm. right? Because now we're starting to work side by side with these people that we didn't know. We just had an opinion of. Now we're getting the experience of. Mm-hmm. Right? And by the afternoon, we start talking about actually what needs to be done in a very short order, not six months down the road, but just in the next four or six weeks, what can we identify that has to be done to make this new product run? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we have with the whole team when, because uh, one of the things I asked for is uh, the leader of that organization, I asked them to stay out of the room, right? Because if she was in the room, everybody was going to be looking to her all day for a signal of which direction to go. Mm-hmm. Right. So we kept her out of the room. She came back in the afternoon and they're like, we're so unhappy that today is Friday because if it was Thursday, we'd stay another day because we still know there's work to be done. Wow. Right. So she flew everybody back in from all over the United States two weeks later. And we actually did two more days because they wanted more time. And then we started working through the explicit agreement. What is it we're doing? We've got these things defined now. Who is going to do what, for whom, by when? Mm-hmm. And documenting all that in a publicly accessible uh, way, in a tool where everybody can check in any day and see what's been promised and when it's due. Because these, uh, these different divisions now have to pass the work back and forth between one another. And it needs to have uh, what Tim Eskew calls quality criteria. Right. And that quality criteria has to be defined. What's successful? What's not? Right. Mm-hmm. What is the quality that we're expecting from this particular deliverable? And when I know that, then I can actually put the time and effort in to see what's it going to take me to do that and give, you know, reasonable commitments that I'm willing to put forth and, and actually achieve. And then the, the, the toughest part of that was over the next nine months as I would set in on their, their weekly meetings and as I would review uh, parts of the project as they would go live, uh, we'd, we'd come together and you had to work on the culture. And that's why I'm so interested in culture, RE, the stuff that I write for Huffington Post, is because that culture of adaptability is what keeps people from throwing other people under the bus. It's what, okay, yes, that was due two weeks from now, but you've now raised your hand and said you found new information and we need to kind of regroup and see how that impacts everything. And so um, I think the most interesting piece is about two years later, I was in in their offices. I wasn't even working. I had no active contracts with them, but they'd offered, hey, anytime you're in the city and you need a desk space, uh, feel free to come by. So I dropped in. I was doing some work over in the corner, and I heard a couple of people behind me using language we developed two years prior in that set of meetings and I listened to the conversation, and then as they finished, I turned around in the, in the cube farm to see who it was. I recognized neither of them. Wow. I've never been in any of my facilitated meetings 
never been on a phone call with me, and yet that language had permeated it throughout the organization. Wow. That must have made you feel really, really good. Oh, absolutely. I think the only thing, uh, well, but one of the other ones that made me feel as, almost as good as that or better was going to a Christmas party uh, with a group of people, and obviously everybody's a little inebriated, but person after person coming up to my wife and saying, you know, um, I really love coming to work on Monday now that Bill's helped us solve you know, my most intractable problems. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And when you were talking about that transparent accountability, you know, there's nothing worse than having a meeting, somebody taking the minutes with the action items and you go away and you expect that that's going to be done and then you come back the next week and nobody's done what they said they were going to do and nobody holds them accountable. And, you know, that's just soul destroying. So the, the fact that you have that transparent accountability uh, it's fantastic. Well, actually, it's a, it's a good transition. Let me just jump into something I think right now would be uh, super helpful for anybody listening. Sure. Um, if, if, if you are reporting in any way on percentage complete on projects, I, I'm going to tell you it's killing you, right? Um, whether you know it or not, uh, we have a little saying when you're 90% complete, you're halfway there. And here's why. We do that. We have that meeting. Right? And everybody takes their assignment because the, the, this is back to project leader versus project manager. A project manager is that spider that sits in the middle of the web and tries to conjole and browbeat and bribe and you know talk nice to everybody that's got another job somewhere in the organization trying to get this project accomplished. Right? It's not the top thing on their list. They really haven't committed to it. Because most project managers go off and build the time, you know, they build the Gantt charts and, you know, they build all the calendars and they build all the task lists and they do all the, uh, the workload breakdowns. They do all this stuff in isolation without any real commitment from the people that are actually going to be doing the work. So, John in operations or, you know, somewhere has got this assignment. He comes back in, you know, two weeks later. John, how's that going? But John hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> right, he's barely thought about it in the shower other than, oh, right, yeah, that thing I still got to do. But he feels obliged in front of his peers to give some sort of update so you can put us at 5%. Hmm. And two weeks later, he feels obliged to bump it to 10%. <laughs> and then it's at 20%. And maybe by that time, he has an outline. <laughs> right. But he's still thinking, this really is only like two days worth of work. I've got six or eight weeks to get it done. I'll, you know, I'll get to it next week. Well, next week, the customer calls with a problem, and now we've got a big blow up. And all the time that he intended to spend on it's not there, right? It's gone, disappeared. And then we get to the last week where he's got five days worth of work, and he really is committed now, and he really has cleared his calendar, and nothing can be stopped. And he starts working on it, and Tuesday, he realizes that a fundamental assumption that he made six weeks ago has either changed, was not correct, or this is much larger. And now he has to go back and either eat crow or throw somebody under the bus. Yep. Oops. You want to you know how projects get late? How they get over budget? It's exactly how. So if you do any, if you take anything away from what we've said today, here's a little key. Break down the project in chunks where you can report on whether it is done or not done. Binary. Here's the requirement. Is it done or not done? Because there's only one answer. 
<laughs> That's right. Yes or no. <laughs> right. And if you've got something that takes two weeks and you, and, and they've been saying to their peers in the meetings, yes, that thing that's due two weeks out, I'm, com- I'm still committed to having it up there. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that go, okay, that's coming up and I'm on the hook for it. I don't want to be embarrassed in front of my peers and I can't just fib about it. I actually have to have it done. I'm going to work late tonight and get that done or I'm going to reprioritize this or whatever it takes to get it done because they don't want to lose face inside the organization. So you take on their own personal motivation and help give them the tools and leverage to actually achieve what they've committed to doing in the first place. Mm, And so is that what you're saying then is that difference between project management and project leadership where you mentioned the project manager sits in the middle of the web and comes up with their own Gantt chart, their own project schedule and then basically dishes it out? Oh, well, it's, it's certainly one of the key things. In fact, I, I've got a recommendation if anybody's actually into project management, uh, a friend, my friend and mentor, actually Tim Eskew, that's T-I-M-M-E-S-Q-U-E, uh, wrote a book when, uh, right after he had left uh, his company called No Surprises Project Management. And he works around that whole concept of how to ask for and then track commitments to getting very uniform pieces of work completed. Mm-hmm. I like super, it. super valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So listeners, if you're thinking about that and, and within your own organization, you may not have a dedicated project manager or project leader per se, but you think about these projects that are happening within your organization. And if you're listening to the suggestions that Bill is giving you, you know, ask yourself, are you the spider sitting in the web who's been coming up with all of this great planning and then dishing it out? Or are you actually taking on board what he's saying about getting people involved? And then they're motivated because they don't want to be embarrassing themselves in front of other people. So is there anything else you wanted to say on that? No, just think even outside of project management, if you're just managing people, I mean, one of my great uh, benefits, I believe that uh, when I first started managing people, half my team was remote and I only got to see them three times a year because wow. of budgetary constraints. So I had to run uh, half my team based on what they produced and what they, what they completed, not what time they got to work. Right. So it, I think it changed my entire management philosophy overall. And I think it was like, super beneficial. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wrapping my head around that because you, it's not like you can walk down the aisle and, and uh, see what the person's up to or what they've done. You know, if they're, if they're not closely located to you, then you really are either looking to see what they've done or not done um, as opposed to, oh, yeah, it's 5% done, 10% done. I, I really like that. So I, we're going to take a short break here and uh, when we come back, let's talk about culture. You mentioned how this fits in and that you write an article for the Huffington Post. So let's talk a little bit about that when we come back. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Shirley Dalton's guide, Five Simple Steps to Business Freedom, is changing the way today's professionals balance their work lives and the rest of their lives. You can enjoy this guide free when you discover businessfreedomfighters.com. You'll find out how to get out of the stranglehold of business and get your life back. The secret is not working longer or harder. It's working smarter and better. You'll join the thousands who find this guide and Shirley Dalton valuable resources for their business. Visit businessfreedomfighters.com today. If you like the Reclaim Your Freedom radio show, you can join Shirley Dalton for her TV show, Empowered Business TV, where you'll get to meet her guests in person and join in with activities to improve yourself, your team, and your business. Watch demonstrations of techniques and strategies you can implement immediately. Plus, regular business owners who are happy to share their experiences and secrets that have made them successful to help you achieve the success you want in business and in life. Visit EmpoweredBusinessTV.com today. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Reclaim Your Freedom with Shirley Dalton. If you have a question or a comment about the program, please send an email to questions at daltonbusinesssystems.com. Again, that's questions at daltonbusinesssystems.com. Now, back to Reclaim Your Freedom. Welcome back. Wow. Have you been thinking about your organization and looking at it from the point of view of the operational strategist that we've been talking to today, Bill Sanders? You're listening to Reclaim Your Freedom and I'm Shirley Dalton and I just love this. I love how we can help business owners to really look at the organization and what Bill is sharing with us today, difference between project leadership, project management, the critical elements that you need to get engagement, get people involved, talking about aligning strategy with operations and productivity, keeping people accountable. I mean, really, you're looking at working on your business, not in your business. And Bill, I know that you write a, an article for the Huffington Post and you generally write about culture. So tell us a little bit more about that and maybe give us some examples. Okay, be happy to. Um, also with culture, I'm also a, um, a mentor in residence at uh, the ReadWrite IoT Labs. Part of that is for the same reason. Although I'm more interested in operations and bigger organizations, I'm also very interested in the startup culture. I, I love the technology aspect of it. I like to keep my hands in there. So I, I do this as part of my way to give back. Uh, and so I work primarily with those guys on culture because they're they're doing project work. They're they're not ready to start building operations, so to speak. They're still trying to get funding and put their messaging together. And you know, those are places where that's not my area of expertise. So I help them mostly on how are they focused on building culture. So we have to start with a definition. And my definition of culture is the evolving normative collective behavior of an organization. And I think it either it either fuels the organization's engine of growth or it's constantly pouring sand in the gears somewhere in between, right? There is no, it's a continuum, but it sets and holds standards, right? And it is also whatever that perspective is outside is what draws in new talent and new employees and keeps people there. So when I think about culture, I'm really looking for um, 
I believe that it comes to the founder's value and their resulting behavior is where the company culture starts. Mm-hmm. I heard um, somebody uh, at a conference one time, they were talking a little bit about this. And it's interesting that you say the founder's value and the resulting behavior, because they were saying, if I'm saying that my value is that our premises must be uh, squeaky clean and presentable, then if I walk outside and I see some trash on the driveway and I walk past it, then I've just shown everybody that I'm actually not in alignment or I don't really mean the value that I'm saying. I'm just paying lip service to it. Yeah, absolutely. I love Alan Weiss's quote on this. Are you going to believe what you read on the walls or what you see in the halls? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, this is a great quote. I can't get any better, so I use his. Um, in this particular case, I've got a great experience here being in the agency world, uh, and I'm going to – both of these are when I was working in the agency world, <laughs> uh, but I got a chance to see, you know, these commitments to the way we respect other people in one get demolished because it was a really great creative director and the client really loved them and it was worth a lot of money. So when he yelled and treated people poorly and cursed at them, everybody waved it and brushed it under the rug, waved it away, brushed it under the rug, ignored it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, same situation with another agency uh, the very first time that somebody reported him yelling at someone and cursing at them, uh, he was out of the office within 90 minutes with his final check. Wow. So in that, which one of those places actually was holding their culture as important? Mm, the second right? one, obviously. Yeah. And so when you, this is where I think it's very critical that we not go through the traditional value statements and mission statements and fill in the blank stuff. Because if, if you're not really committed to this, the minute you say we are here to do X or we're here to be X, it will be tested and it will usually be tested against cash, <laughs> a sale, a client, someone will be upset at it and you're going to have the opportunity to either live up to that value or not. So be very careful which ones you say. And it, uh, quite frankly, I try to be agnostic about this. I mean, I have my values. Uh, I would not personally want to work for Steve Jobs and Apple. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be under that kind of pressure. I'm not that kind of personality. Other people are happy to work there. They get a charge out of it. I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm saying if you're clear on the culture and what I work with my clients to be is it's clear and it's consistent, you'll draw the people in that want to contribute to that culture and continue to move it in the direction that you set. Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it really is that walking your talk, isn't it? So it's no good saying something and doing something else, and that's that consistency. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when I was working in the franchise organisation, and I often bring this up, and we listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, and there was one of the lawyers, and he was a young buck coming up, and uh, anyway, he was telling me what was what. And, and like you with the systems, I knew everything down pat, you know. 
And uh, anyway, I went in and I complained to my boss and I said, you know, this guy's been really rude and uh, um, you know, putting me down, etc. Anyway, he went to the guy's boss, and good, full credit, and he said, if that guy doesn't come back and apologise to my franchise manager, we will not do business with you. He said, I will not stand and tolerate for my staff to be spoken to like that. And I went, yes! <laughs> he had my loyalty, you know, forever. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think this is where, you know, where so many people make the mistake. They're, they're making decisions of what's expedient and what's comfortable yes. instead of what they truly value. And for the long, for, I mean, they couldn't have bought the loyalty with cash that they got from you by standing up for who they said they were in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't have done it. Oh, absolutely not. And, uh, but, it, you know, it, it really did mean something, I suppose, because it stood out. Because unfortunately, and I hope this isn't new listeners, unfortunately, too many people don't do it. They just, they don't stand up. They don't, they don't have their values and then they, they certainly don't um, stand in alignment with them. Well, uh, for me, this is where there's a level of self-leadership that, I believe any owner has to have if they want to continue to grow and, and be successful with their company to in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the day-to-day running this thing with all of the things that are generally going wrong. Cause that's what they, that's what your people come to you. They don't come to you when things are going right. They come to you to solve problems. They can't solve themselves many times is can you, can you pause enough and be centered enough and be clear enough on where you're going to actually catch those moments and, and ensure that they're being handled correctly. Mm-hmm. I, I was talking to um, uh, names to me, almost said it um, just, just recently. And we were sharing and, I, and what was going on with his new group that he's carrying. And he's got about 600 employees now uh, in a very large, well-known company. And, he was, he was making, he was starting to skip lunch, right? Have meetings during lunch. I said, what are you demonstrating? It's exactly the opposite of what you told me last time we talked. Uh-huh. You're no longer demonstrating the work-life balance that you say you're about. Uh-huh. Dead silence for about 20 seconds on the phone. He said, you are absolutely right. Done. Lunch is on the calendar. <laughs> I love it. And good on you for holding your clients and people accountable. I love it. And again, he was happy to do it. He just so busy, he hadn't stopped to see it. And I think we have to build in time to stop and see what's actually going on. Yeah. Wow. Well, listeners, I love talking operations and strategy and leadership. How good was that? I trust you'll take on board what Bill suggested today and implement so you can start to get the return on investment that Bill regularly gets for his clients. And he's mentioned some pretty big numbers there. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Listeners, as always, until next week, be sure to implement the techniques you've learned today. Continue to create. No, sorry, before I sign off, because you know my regular sign off, before we say that, remember to go and get that white paper from Bill's website, which is called Roebling Strauss. Now, go and implement the techniques you've learned today and continue to create your ideal business lifestyle. Thank you for joining Shirley Dalton and her amazing guest this week on Reclaim Your Freedom. 
Please tune in again next Tuesday at 1 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, relax just a bit and have a great week. Enjoy the upcoming weekend, and we'll see you here for the next show. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 